In Charlotte, protesters throw rocks and water bottles at police, stomp on and damage vehicles. They block traffic on a major interstate, then grow in intensity. They broke into the back of a, a tractor trailer and started setting items on fire. 16 police officers were injured. One hit in the face with a rock. The riot sparked by the fatal police shooting of 43-year-old Keith Lamont Scott Tuesday afternoon. In an emotional Facebook live stream, a woman who says Scott was her father claims he didn't have a gun, and if he did, the police planted it. My daddy is definitely disabled. What gun he had? He in a damn car reading a book. But the police say a gun was recovered and no book. Mr. Scott exited his vehicle armed with a handgun as the officers continued to yell at him to drop it. He stepped out, posing a threat to the officers, and Officer Brentley Vinson subsequently fired his weapon, striking the subject. The officer, who, like Scott, is African-American, was not wearing a body camera. Other officers were, but no video or a photo of the gun has been released. The incident comes just days after a fatal officer-involved shooting in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that has also drawn scrutiny. Police say officers came upon Terrence Crutcher beside a vehicle stopped in the middle of the road last Friday. That looks like a bad dude, too. His hands are up, but when an officer orders him to the ground, he instead returns to his car. Officer Betty Shelby shoots him. The officer's attorney says she was afraid he was behaving oddly and reaching for a weapon, but police say no weapon was found, only the drug PCP. And family lawyers say his car window was not even open. We see very clearly on the video that Terrence never made a sudden movement towards the officers or towards going inside of the vehicle. We can see on the video that when Terrence was shot, the officers were not in any imminent harm. Both cases raising the question, under what circumstances is police use of force allowable if an officer thinks a person has a gun? Someone who has the intent to use that gun can use that within less than a second and bring fatal harm to you or another officer or somebody nearby. And so an officer is going to respond to that potential threat with a, a threat of their own. And Even if it's not pointed at the officer. Absolutely. An officer does not have to wait to have that gun pointed at them. Now, the officers in both Charlotte and Tulsa are now on paid administrative leave pending investigations. Law enforcement expert Ron Hosko says of the two cases, this officer, Betty Shelby in Tulsa, Oklahoma, is the one most likely to face possible charges because there is no dispute that the man she shot and killed was unarmed. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight we take a look at the use of excessive force in the criminal justice system. That can mean many things. In many cases, it is death, it is abuse at its highest level. We're going to deal with that tonight, folks. Another look at excessive force in America's criminal justice system. Hang on to your seats. We take off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks along with Kendrick Barnes, Sepson Riddle, William Williams, Dennis Merritt, Cliff Stewart, and the entire AJC radio team tonight as we continue to discuss the problem in our country of, with the use of excessive force. We find many times in our nation 
cities all across the United States, uh, people are dying and are being abused uh, with excessive force. What does that mean? Force that is not necessary, force that really, really is illegal. Uh, because people are dying as a result of that. And we're going to take a look at this discussion as we, a week ago, begin to deal with Devon Bailey's, the shooting of Devon Bailey here in Colorado Springs uh, some weeks ago. And I'll tell you right now, uh, regardless of what side of the argument that you're on tonight, is there an option where deadly force is not on the table? Uh, unless it is a last resort type situation. Uh, these are things we have to talk about. Uh, we're talking about people across the country that are dying in county jails. Uh, no conviction. Uh, basically has been accused of something. People are dying. Why is that? Excessive force. Not only by deputy sheriffs, correctional officers, also by police. Every type of law enforcement you can imagine is instituting this excessive force. Um, Samson, your thoughts on this as we, uh, we, we talked about this before on the show. You're going to hear some clips tonight. You're going to make you scratch your head. What is going on? Why is a gun and why in a county jail when you're there to process in and go to your day in court? Why then are people dying in county jail? Well, there's absolutely no reason behind it. I mean, other than the fact that, I mean, there's a growing scenario going on um, across with all law enforcement agencies out there right now. And the whole the whole um, quote you'll always hear is how they feared for their life. Well, no, there's no way you feared for your life if you can see someone's hands in clear sight. There's no way you feared for your life when somebody is in restraints. There's no way you feared for your life when you outnumbered the person six to one. I was just reading an article earlier this week about that, how... A state trooper pulled over a man with his seven-year-old daughter, and the girl had a gun pointed in her face during a traffic stop, a routine traffic stop. And you're having a child with a police-issued weapon in their face. Now, I mean, granted, thank God it didn't go beyond that, but, I mean, there's too many cases out there across the nation about, you know, people getting choked out for and killed for selling cigarettes, you know, five, six, seven people piling on top of one individual, you know, guns being drawn, all kind. I mean, can upon can of pepper spray being used on an individual. For what? Yeah. For what? Yeah, that's not acceptable. Uh, William? Well, I think I think what we need to understand is what is excessive force. You know, we, we it's thrown around so much and we, and we see it, we're going to talk about it, but I was just looking at the definition here. And what it was saying is, is that government officials legally entitled to use force exceeds the minimum amount necessary to defuse an incident or to protect themselves from and others from harm. Now, that right there tells you these guys, I mean, there are, there are police officers that are out there that are really doing a good job. They are equipped to do the things that, that are needed. You know, they have batons, they have tasers, they have spray. But when your first course of action is to the firearm, that tells you something's wrong. When your first course of action is the most deadliest thing, a piece of equipment that you have on, that tells you that something's wrong. No, without question. I'll tell you right now, and Dennis, we're going to get your thoughts here in a moment. These tools that are used by these officers or correctional officers or, count, or deputy sheriffs, whatever you call it, 
when you have people that are need, in, for instance, you have people in the prison or in the county jail that are in need for medical attention. When a woman is hemorrhaging to death on the floor in a jail cell and gives birth to a baby, that is, uh, these are the actions, and you, you are co- culpable in any type of damage to this woman or to a man where he is bleeding to death, throwing up in blood in a commode, in a toilet, in a cell, when you fail to act or fail to give help, this is force that is excessive. You say, well, I didn't do anything. That's the problem. So it's both sides of the coin. Whether I get a baton and beat you to death or a flashlight or whatever these cops have that they use as a weapon or these law enforcement folks use as a weapon, when you fail to act, on one of the one of the uh, research videos I did, you have a man that is complaining of being sick, complaining, saying, "I need you to help me." He is on watch. Guards are walking around, doing a, a regular walk check, check through, a walk through. This man is dying. You can tell he's sick on the floor. They stop. They do nothing. You have a juvenile in a juvenile detention center hanging himself from the bunk where an officer comes in and begins to take pictures as he suffocates to death. That This is unacceptable, but this is the culture of this country. People do not, if I don't know about it, well, whatever. They shouldn't have got in trouble or they shouldn't have broke the law. At my understanding in county jail, you've been accused of a crime. Accused. You haven't been convicted. You haven't been found guilty of anything and they treat these people as animals, police officers, as as Samson just alluded to, pulling up to a car on a traffic stop and the person is at gunpoint for a traffic stop? Well, if that's the only thing in your hand, it is going to be very easy to pull the trigger. By mistake? Yeah. But if I have a taser in my hand, I can defuse it. Excessive force. We're going to talk about it tonight. We're going to get Kendrick Barnes and Dennis Maris' thoughts on this on the other side of the break, folks. I'll tell you right now, we have a problem in this country. A problem. I heard the other day that some officers went into a man's house, cuffed him. He said, this is my home. Cuffed him in his house. Now, had that gentleman made any type of sudden move, in, in, the, in the culture in which we live today, he's a, statistic, he's a t- statistic. Make no mistake about it, folks. This is something we have to talk about. Who's going to hold these officers accountable? And you're dealing with a r- racist-charged environment and culture in this country right now. And people are dying needlessly. And I, let me make it very clear to our listeners out there tonight. I don't care if you're white, black, red, yellow. Whatever nationality, wherever you come from, whether it's Europe, Japan, anywhere, human life matters and excessive force on to any person and deadly force cannot be tolerated in this country. We're going to deal with it. We're going to roll it back, folks. Hang on to your seats. We'll be right back. This is AJC Radio. What's up, y'all? It's your boy Cam on stage, and I'm afraid I'll be killed by police. Not all police, just one police officer who fears first life and thinks I have a gun. I'm afraid I'll match the description of someone who called 911. The police will arrive, and before I know it, 
I'll be dead. Not all cops are bad, but for me, all it takes is one who is afraid for his life, and that leaves me dead. He could have had a pristine record up until that, but if he's afraid that day, that means it's the end for me. He could have been a bad cop his whole entire career and not be afraid. That means the end for me. I used to think this wouldn't happen to me because I'm a law-abiding citizen. I won't ever be doing anything or be anywhere I shouldn't be. I'll comply with officers, but that doesn't always seem to be the case. Here's some examples of what black people were doing when they were killed by police. Selling CDs outside of a supermarket, selling cigarettes outside of a corner store, walking home with a friend, missing a front license plate, riding a commuter train, holding a fake gun in a park in Ohio, holding a fake gun in a Walmart in Ohio, holding a fake gun in Virginia, calling for help after a car accident, driving with a broken brake light, failing to signal a lane change, walking away from police, walking toward police, running to the bathroom in your apartment building, walking up the stairwell of your apartment building, sitting in your car before your bachelor party, holding your wallet, not wearing a seatbelt in police custody, attending a birthday party, laughing. The thing that makes me most afraid is I'll be afraid. I don't know what I'll do if a police officer has a gun pointed at me and is shouting instructions. I'm afraid I'll move too fast, too slow, not fast enough. I'll reach for something he asked me to reach for and he'll think it's a gun. I'm afraid I won't be calm and me not being calm could be the end of me. I'm afraid that I can die in front of my wife or children or both. I'm afraid my children will be somewhere without me and suffer the same fate. I'm afraid the police officer will be in plain clothing so they won't even recognize that this is a police officer and they don't respect him and treat him like the authority he is because they don't know he is. And here's what's gonna happen if I die. People will comment on a post about me and here's what they'll say. If he would've just done this, he would be alive today. If he would've just done that, he'd be alive today. All you have to do is listen to police and you'll be fine. If he would've just listened to the officer's orders, he'd be here today. If you care so much, why don't you care about what's happening in Chicago? What about black on black crime? Don't you care about that? The media will find the worst picture of me to use. And since I don't have any brushes with the law or mug shots, they'll find the most menacing or intimidating photo they can use. They won't use any of my wife or children or my family because that doesn't tell the story that they want to tell. Tammy Lauren will get on TV and tell them it was my fault or Glenn Beck or Sean Hannity or Rush Limbaugh will get on the radio. Fox News will have a field day with me. They'll say, we don't have all the facts. The video doesn't clearly show. You don't know. What if he was? It looked like he was. You can't tell clearly. We can't see what's in his right hand or left hand. You don't know what the officers were feeling. The NRA won't protect me or protest my death, even if I say I'm a licensed gun owner and I tell the police officer that when he pulls me over. The video will be posted all over the internet in a matter of seconds, and whether or not you want to see it, you will see my dead body lying on the ground or a video of an officer shooting me or me dying live on Facebook. And then people will say it's not about race, we're all one people, all lives matter, and then life will go on. That's the scariest thing. After a while, life will go on. The officers may or may not get arrested. More than likely, they won't be convicted. More than likely, they won't even be indicted. And before you can totally mourn my death, it'll happen again. That's why I'm afraid. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we are 
Going down familiar territory, unfortunately, as we deal with excessive force, deadly force within our criminal justice system uh, here in the United States of America, which is shameful. Uh, Kendrick, your thoughts as we get ready to go down this road is, again, look, this is very troubling when you can turn on the news on a consistent basis and see somebody being mistreated, somebody being beaten, somebody being tased to death, and somebody being shot to death with eight warning shots in the back. Uh, I think what happened is a lot of people have lost sight of what this, the history of the United States and what it's about. Our Declaration of Independence proclaimed life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the first thing it gave was life. A, a man has a right to live in this country. And oftentimes, it seems that there's a divide between citizenship and, and law enforcement. We're all the same. It doesn't matter what your job is. You should take a person's liberty and their life as an American citizen just as important as you're taking your own. There shouldn't be a divide of if I kill someone, it should be because you are protecting your own life or the life of an innocent. Not just because the person ran from you, I got upset, I shot him. Uh, or I thought my life was in danger. But that thought took a man's life and that weight should matter. It shouldn't be just this, oh, his life is gone. Uh, the, the officer you know, said his life is in danger, let it go. No, our lives, everyone's life in this country, even, the, even to the lowest, to the poorest, to the richest, it all should have value that we guaranteed freedom and, and we recognize that that was something that was given to us by God. That's what the, the Declaration of Independence said. It was an unalienable right, meaning it was given to us by God. And we should respect that for everybody in this country. Yeah, and unfortunately, uh, that's, in the, that's in a perfect world. Doesn't happen here. Just not going to happen. You go out to the inner cities, um, inner city neighborhoods in this country, where you have police departments, definitely, uh, namely in Ferguson, uh, where they begin to militarize the police force. What are you doing with tanks? Well, that's an occupation. In neighborhoods. Tanks? And then you want to ask yourself the question, what are they running for? I'm sorry, they don't want a tank in the head. Are you actually kidding me right now? You have tanks that are taken into war. In neighborhoods, and you think the neighborhood, uh, the neighborhood is going to feel safe? We don't see tanks in Beverly Hills, and crimes are equally uh, taking place there, just like any any place else. Why is that? Why can't a college student rape a young lady on the side of a building behind a trap, a, 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 a dumpster? And a judge comes back and says, well, we don't want to ruin his future. But he raped a woman. And I guarantee you, had it been an African-American, a Caucasian woman, oh, they would have hunted him down. And when he thought to move a certain direction, may have been shot in the back. Look, you can say what you want to say. This is the world in which we live in. And I'll say it again, all lives matter. I'm going to be equally as furious with a police officer or any law enforcement officer. 
correctional officer, deputy sheriff, that takes the life of a, of a white man equally when he shouldn't have done it. That's the reality. So don't go down that road. Well, they just, they're just concerned about black people. It just happens to be we have an epidemic in this country right now where blacks are getting shot to death, where blacks are getting choked out in, in New York City, Mr. Eric Gardner, for selling cigarettes on a corner, not with a weapon, doesn't have a gun. Then the argument is made, well, if they just do what the police say and, and, and do exactly what they ask, you'll still get shot. Years ago, the guy, I forget where it was, it's somewhere when this mass amount of incidents begin to happen, he's walking down with his hands up. He gets out of the car. His hands are up. He's walking away. He gets shot in the back. You got Mr. Castro. We're going to play that clip right now. In the educational uh, system in Minnesota, says to the officer, this is a traffic stop. This is not someone eluding authorities. This is a traffic stop. He's in there with his fiance and a two-year-old girl in the back seat, his daughter. He says to the officer, officer, I have a gun. I have a permit to carry that gun. I'm going to reach in the glove compartment, Mr. Officer. I'm going to show you my paperwork on this weapon. He slowly, cautiously, out of respect for the situation, so there is no misunderstanding, reaches in the glove box, and as soon as he reaches, he fires shots in the car, killing this man in front of his two-year-old daughter. So let me, let me be clear. It's not about doing what the police officers say. People are dying with or without it. That's true. That's a problem. That's the problem. Let's roll the clip. Well, earlier, uh, I'll say about 2 o'clock, he came to my house in order to go and get his hair done. And uh, he came back, and we chit-chatted, him and his sister. And uh, they had a conversation about the concealed carry permits that they both have. And they were saying that, um, you know, to be cautious. And my daughter said, you know what? I really don't even want to carry my gun because I'm afraid that they'll shoot me first and then ask questions later. How do you explain what you see on that video? I seen a a young man, helpless, shot for no apparent reason. Um, I saw my nephew shot by a man clinging to his life, you know, and with, with no help. It, it, it was the most horrific thing I ever seen in my life. I want to say that I appreciate Diamond streaming that video live because no doubt. we never would know exactly what happened had she not put that out there like that. Exactly. And then for him to blatantly shoot into that vehicle with that child in there exactly. and that female. And I know for a fact my son would never jeopardize his fiance and the child by uh, doing anything 
to provoke this officer to think that no, his life was in, in danger. He wasn't an, he's not an officer. He's just a man. An officer is supposed to protect and serve. He's not an officer. That was a man who did that. Man, that man is a destroyer. Yeah. And he came into our lives and done something and took something from us. I think he was just black in the wrong place. That could be true, but he had permission and the privilege to carry a, power, a firearm within this, this state. And from what I understand, Philando told them that he did have a firearm. I'm sure he did because and, and that was something that we always discussed. Comply. That's yeah. the key thing. The key thing in order to try to survive being stopped by the police is to comply. Whatever they ask you to do, do it. Don't say nothing. Just do whatever they want you to do. So what's the difference in complying and you get killed anyway? Well, there you have it. This man went to get a haircut. I, I do not understand how an officer who is supposed to be trained, let me make this point very clear. There are officers out there, I've talked to police officers, sheriff deputies, correctional officers, that are some great people. And they do a dang good job. So please, as we go on this show, and address the issues of force. Please understand, to those that honor the badge, we say thank you. For those that sacrifice to keep us safe every day, we say thank you. But tonight we must address the others who have failed at their job of protection. This is not a white or black thing, but we have a growing stat of inner city shootings. Uh, Tamar Rice, I believe that's his name, the 12-year-old. Tamir. Tamir Rice. On a swing? He was on a swing set. Nobody's at the playground. Cops pull in, they get a call, hey, somebody has a gun at the park. I have a hard time believing that you can distinguish a 12-year-old on a swing from a real threat. I don't understand that. When I was a youngster and we played cowboys and Indians, <laughs> nobody rolled up with a cop car. tells you how old I am things have changed but I promise you if a couple of white boys were in the playground with guns toy guns I promise you nobody's rolling up that may sound bad but that's a reality it's true this young man Mr. Um, the gentleman, Castillo. Uh, Castillo. And when I saw the video, he knew he was dying. And he could do nothing about it. And the officer yelled back and said, 
You should have did that. You should have. What are you talking about? He told you what he was doing. He took his life. Excessive force. Deadly force. Unacceptable. And until we face the fact as a nation that we are, you know what? The reason it's becoming easy to take life. We don't value human life anymore. We just don't. Got a situation here in Aurora, Colorado. This is recent. Local family accuses Aurora police of beating a man. Local family accused the Aurora Police Department of going too far during a weekend incident. According to a press release from AP, APD police, say it happened Saturday night on Billing Street near East Colfax Avenue. A call came in about a suspicious person who was wearing a ski mask and waving his arms. Police say when officers arrived, they made contact with the suspect. The release goes on to say he resisted. They struggled, and then officers took the man into custody. That's, that's when police say they called Aurora Fire Rescue for medical attention because of the level of physical force and his agitated state. The release also says AFR claims they gave him a standard medication used to reduce agitation, and while he was being transported to the hospital, he suffered cardiac arrest. On Tuesday night, the Aurora family of 24-year-old Elijah McClain reached out to Fox 31 and Channel 2 News to say that suspect was their relative and he is fighting for his life at a local hospital. They are demanding to know what happened that night, accusing the officers of beating McLean. He has swelling in his face. He has swelling in his arms. He's unresponsive, explained a woman who identified herself as McLean's cousin. He's been beaten. It's not just that he had a heart attack. He was beaten. And you have all these bruises in your head, added a second woman who also identified herself as a cousin. On Wednesday, APD, APD and AFR released a joint statement about the incident. In the statement, the agency said AFR had conducted a preliminary review of care provided to McLean during the innocent. Aurora Fire Rescue, in conjunction with our EMS medical director, has conducted a pre preliminary review of the treatment provided and finds that the actions of the responders were consistent and aligned with our established protocols. In fact, the initial findings indicate that our personnel demonstrated a high level of technical skill and professionalism while providing care for the patient, the statement reads. Police say the officers were wearing body cameras. Fox 31 and Channel 2 News have requested that video. The case is being investigated by the APD's major crimes and homicide unit and members of the Denver Police Department. Here's my question. If he simply resisted arrest, as you say, and you took him into custody, why is he bruised up? Why does he have knots on his head? Why does he need an emergency response vehicle? I mean, if, if you simply just made an arrest, why is the fire department there and why is treatment administered? Treatment is being administered because of injury. Does that make sense? And the fire department's there because they have paramedics. So, so why are the paramedics there see, if it's a simple I mean, yeah, that's, that's simple. If you call if you call 911 today and you say, I'm in you know some kind of distress, cardiac distress or something like that, they're going to roll the closest units, which would be either an ambulance if it's in the area or, or a fire department, which has paramedics. Well, here's what doesn't make sense. We're outside. I'm waving my arms and I've got a ski mask, if, he, if that's even the case. Cops come. You're going to take this man down and, and can't cuff him and put him in the car. Right? Right. 
Why does he need medical attention? That's right. Kendrick, your thoughts? Excessive force. Bottom line. And, that, and that's the point is, at what point do you have the guy restrained? So why do, why do I need to continue to just – there's evidence he's been beat. So why do I need to continue if I have him constrained, if he's handcuffed, if you've got enough officers holding him down, what more else do you need to do? Your job now is to put him in the police car. Take him to the jail. Take him to jail. That, that's, in, that's in the game. You have, you have a legal right. If you believe he broke the law, you have a legal right to arrest him. You don't have a legal right to beat him, to beat him especially if he's not trying to assault you. And then it comes to the fight point two. Well, what, what you put him in a predicament. If you start hitting him for no reason and he tries to defend himself, then you're saying, oh, look, he did attack me. What, what do you expect him to do? What do you expect any normal human being to do if they feel like I need to defend myself at this point because I have no other, better, I have no other choice? Here's the difference. If I'm even defending my – how is my head knocked up with bruises and knots? With, with how many officers did they say were there? Uh, officers, you know they have backup. I'm just going to guesstimate. At least two officers are there, minimum. Maybe three or four. You got a guy on the, uh, on the street and, and he's resisting. It doesn't take a lot of time to, to, to put him in check without even hurting him. I know that. I've seen that. I've watched cops. Fox 21, cops. What you going to do? When they come for you, I've seen arrest. Okay, uh, and I, I'm telling you, it's 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 fairly simple. It's true. It's fairly simple to take someone in custody. And I don't think they teach you in the police academy to continue beating the person when you got them on the ground. I'm pretty sure that's well, not we, taught. And, we, and we've seen we've seen acts of that. We've seen a guy land on his back, and they pumped three rounds into his chest. On his back. Do you understand this? This is a crime. Everybody's outraged about the officer that choked Eric Gardner out. Oh, justice was done today. Excessive force for a man selling cigarettes. Probably trying to put a little food on the table. And I'm, I'm sorry, he didn't do this in Iowa. He was in New York City where a hustle happens every block. You got folks with trench coats selling watches. Go down the alley a few, a few times. Folks are selling clothes out their cars. The hustle's on in New York City. And, and isn't that just a citation? Yeah, what are you doing? I mean, what, here's what I'm trying to get. You have about six officers, if not more, wrestling a man down for selling cigarettes on a corner. But, but this is the thing that really bothers me about all that. They think him being fired is punishment. He literally got fired from his job. I mean, even, even in Philando Castillo's case, the man was charged. He, the officer was charged with manslaughter. I don't know why it wasn't second-degree murder. Well, what, how much time did he get? Uh, he got acquitted. He walked out a year later free and they fired him they feared they in their statement they said it was better served to the public that he was dismissed a better image to the public that he's you're talking about firing a police officer a man is dead well 
And you look at the call, I mean, the, the, the penalty here, I, I think that's the thing that people don't understand. You have, a man lost his life, you got fired from a job, and you go home. You have not paid no price. You have not seen any jail time. In the case of Eric Gardner, we saw it. Philando Castillo was live streamed. Yep. It was a live stream as his four-year-old daughter sat there. And so you sit here and you look at this and you say, you literally got fired. How many people got fired today from a job? Well, look. This is why you have unequal justice in America. Had I choked a man on a corner in New York City until he died, I'd have been charged with first degree murder. That's the bottom line. If he was white. No, but I would have been charged. I died, yeah. If I choke a man to death in public, white or black, that's right. They're coming to arrest me. That's murder. And then the police department says the the hold that the chokehold that Mr. Gardner was in was illegal. Yes, that's true. Had been banned from the police department. You used an illegal hold to take a life. And you walk away simply without your job. And you know what they call that if one citizen does that to another? Involuntary manslaughter. But you, it, it would be involuntary manslaughter if you accidentally killed a person. But then an officer of the law that's trained, been out on the street for a certain number of years, knows what to do and what not to do. You use an illegal chokehold that has been deemed by the entire state. You were trained not, do not use this hold on any citizen. It is illegal. It can cause permanent damage or death if you use this particular chokehold on the system. You do that and kill them, but you get no charge. You, he, he's fired from his job. And to say justice will serve. Who made that statement? The mayor? I think it was the mayor. I thought it was. And the, I think the commissioner. The commissioner of police. Because yeah. he was defending. Uh, he, he came out and was talking about how now the police department, you know, if you're looking for the city to defend the police, you know, he was going on and on as if, you know, they had been wrong. The police officers had been yeah. wrong. Cliff, were you, were, you, were you finishing your point? No, I just wanted to say that, you know, to reiterate, any citizen, it, it would be justifiable, any citizen that did that to another person would be charged with charged. involuntary manslaughter and have to home. face the consequences. You have a, a two third graders playing dodgeball. Not in, a, not in a park, somewhere strange, not on a local street, not something unsanctioned, at recess, playing dodgeball. One young fellow hits the other young fellow uh, in the face with dodgeball. Now, when you play in dodgeball, you throw in the red, rubbery softball, and if you get hit in the head, that's part of the game. The, the young black third grader catches a case arrested, goes to court, and gets a case for aggravated assault for playing dodgeball at recess time. But a man who chokes another man out kills him with an illegal chokehold while doing doing something that he was trained not to do 
he can't he can't get one charge to stick and you know why because he used that old term that law enforcement officers use when they kill somebody i felt for my life and the lives of my fellow officers when the video plainly shows you attacking eric Gardner on the street why in the first place did you put your hands on this man write him a ticket say we'll see you in court and if I come back in an hour and you're still out here, I will write you another ticket for doing the same thing. We'll pile up the tickets on you. To uh, That is the worst that should have happened to Eric Gardner, is to get a citation for uh, illegally selling a cigarette. I'm well, trying to make $2. Look, the tragedy of this, and this is what is the most tragic to me, the man is stating to you, I cannot breathe. He is labored. He cannot breathe. If you're physically, and the more he said he could not breathe, the tighter the clinch came around his throat. That is murder. And if you look at the video, why he was dying, he said so many times, please, I can't breathe. This is excessive. In this case, deadly. Cost a man his life. He was already a big sized guy, so his breathing was going to be labored. You didn't have to wrestle him to the ground for selling cigarettes on a court. Why did you take him down is the question. You didn't have to take him down. He wasn't a threat to anyone. He wasn't a threat to anybody. You took him down. From the moment you took him down, it became excessive. From the moment you put your hands on him, it became excessive force. And a man is dead tonight because the cop felt like he wanted to ego trip and take this guy out. He should be in prison today for first degree murder. That's my, if, if you know you didn't have a right to touch him and you put your hands around his throat with the intent, there's only one intent to do there, to cut his breathing off. Why? For selling cigarettes in New York City on a corner. That is as sick as it gets. That's sick. It's unacceptable. The other side of the break, William, I'll get your thoughts on the other side. We're going to have this discussion further. This is, a, this is a tragedy, ladies and gentlemen. What happens if that's your father? Next. That's your son. Next. We're going to deal with it on the other side of the break. This is AJC Radio. A nation in crisis as excessive force in America's criminal justice system escalates to its highest level. We'll be right back. This is AJC Radio. Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that you and I experienced some of the same things with the big brother. 
Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And, of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff, but he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it? You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impacts families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at 1-855-529-4252. That's 1-855-529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land. Let me tell you who to blame. Blame the boy lying at your feet, his body oozing life through the hole in his stomach where the bullet tore him apart. Blame him for challenging you, for not looking away and for not backing down when you pulled out the gun. Blame your mother for bringing you into this world when she was but a kid herself and for dragging you up, not bringing you up. Blame society for not giving you hope. Blame your father for not being there the man who looked after himself instead of looking after you. Blame the gun in your hand for making you a target, for making you more likely to be picked on. Blame the dead boy, blame your mother, blame society, blame your father, blame the gun, blame anyone but yourself for not being strong enough to put down the gun, to break the cycle. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight. I'll tell you right now, this is a hard show to do. If we go down the list of people that have died needlessly, it's mind-boggling. Make no mistake about it, for the victims of excessive force in this country, my heart goes out equally to the two officers killed in New York City, execution style. 
as they had lunch in their patrol car. As I said earlier, I'll say it again. The value of human life has fallen off the scale. To those family members of those police officers who were killed, it was as a result of retaliation for the men that are dying on the streets of this country. No one wins here. There's no winner. To lose somebody, a loved one, is tough all on its own. So my mind goes to the families of the victims. Devon Bailey, as we did a show on him a week ago, shot to death by police officers. Your heart goes to the young man that lost his life, but to the members, the family members that are left behind at the funeral in which I attended of Devon Bailey, the grief, a young man, one of the family members of Devon Bailey went into a horrible seizure after viewing the body of Devon Bailey where ambulances and first responders were sent to that location. The ramifications, nobody takes a look at these numbers. The heartbreak, the suicide rate of those who felt like they couldn't go further, that took their own lives. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the tragedy that we must stop the bleeding now it's just going to get worse. Pain's not going to stop. And I got news for you. It's not going to get any better unless we speak out. That's true. When do does America, the, the neighborhoods that lose these people, they count. These lives count. Walter Scott's mother He got killed, I believe, in North Carolina. William, South, I believe. South Carolina. South Carolina. <clears throat> Shot in the back? Yes. Is that where the taser was dropped by his body? Yes, that was in South Char North Charleston, South Carolina. The police officer was later charged. But, you know, the in that case, again, social media, the technology that we have today, if that had not been, it been there, you know, the guy that that's heard the incident – had his camera phone up over there, you know, and recorded that, you know. I mean, that's the thing. That's the most amazing thing to me. Because even with in the show when we were talking about Devon Bailey, you know, I, the point was if we did not have technology here, how many cases have gone by where police officers planted evidence, just like it would happen with Walter Scott or the attempt in, in the Walter Scott case, and then to justify, to make things right. You know, and, 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 this, and this is another point that really bothers me. They say, well, he had a gun. So? Philando Castillo had a gun, had a permit to carry that weapon, purchased it legally. He shot and killed. They tried to justify that, okay, well, he had a gun, he had a knife, he had something. It doesn't mean that you were in fear of your life. It doesn't mean it was pulled on you. Yep. It doesn't mean that. So why do you... Oh, well, we found that. 
we found that. Was it pointed at you? Did, and and then the thing is, even when we saw the video of Devon Bailey, he was running away from the police officers. There was no gun present or pointing at the officer, as I believe they had first claimed. And he got shot in the back. Walter Scott got shot in the back. Eric Gardner was choked out on, on I believe that was almost live streamed. But it was at least captured on phone, on the video. Phone. Very, very good. Yeah, it was very you, clear video. And then, and then, and then the police officer in the Eric Gardner case, the lawyer said he insisted. Now the lawyer said that he insisted the officer used a reasonable amount of force and did not mean to hurt you, Gardner. Let me, let me say this. I saw the video. They had his, a knee in his chest. They choked him out. So, from the t- first time the man said, I can't breathe. And his hands were up. Hands were up. Yeah, my question to that is, I mean, we know there was at least four people on top of this guy. Rather than continually laying on top of him and making it where he couldn't breathe, they all have handcuffs. Stand him up. Cuff the man, stand him, at least get him up on his knees or sit him down. It's not like he's going to run off anywhere. It's already established. He was a heavy guy. He's not going to beat you in a foot race. But don't kill the man because, like you said, he's just trying to hustle, sell some cigarettes, and put food on the table. Well, we're going to talk about this more. Um, we were talking a little bit about the the reason this show was, was entitled The Excessive Force in America's Criminal Justice System. This next clip I'm going to play for you is, is horrific. We'll discuss it. This man is in county jail. Um, claims, I believe, that he had pneumonia. Uh, scared to death. He's outnumbered. He's in a jumpsuit. He's the nobody in the situation. Lost his life in county jail asking the officers to help him and they killed him. They took his life. Let's play the clip. Sit down. He sit down. He's on the floor. Y'all help him up to his feet. And this 
inmate is saying please he's apologizing because he is in fear of his life done nothing the report is is that they let him go back to his cell where he died of cardiac arrest this man is I don't understand how does a country allow it? This is all over social media. The man is saying, please help me. He's not doing anything. It's not a threat to anybody. And in the clip, he goes further to say, I have pneumonia. Please. And when he began to say, I'm sorry. He was pleading for his life. That is so hard to listen to. And we call ourselves a nation of laws and fairness, but no one is held accountable. He's just another dead inmate in our system. Unacceptable. When does America rise up and say, enough, another life, another body bag filled needlessly, needlessly. Until America start looking at everyone as someone and not animals. I mean, anybody in prison, they, they look at them like animals. Uh, anybody that's uh, a cop comes in contact with that. Uh, you know, they, they think uh, may, may have something or, or have done something. They're treated like animals. There's no regard for human life. And uh, just one story that I had looked at where uh, this individual was shot. This is in uh, California. 41 times. And they said that he committed suicide. He, he was committing suicide. So here, what got me was, so... The police entertained him and killed him to help him commit suicide. Wait a minute. Hold on a second. 41 times. So why did the issue come up about suicide? Because when the, the, the uh, individual was coming toward them, he said, kill me. Because, you know, when they pulled him over, did he, have a he weapon? put his hand, he had a, he had a knife in his hand. 
But still, it doesn't. What I'm not understanding, being from the military, uh, you know, I was uh, guarding a, a nuclear uh, base. I won't mention that base, but we were taught to, uh, you know, there were cases that we might have to use deadly force or whatever. But at all costs, the first thing that we were told to do was to maim or bring them down. Death was a last resort. Now, this is someone that's trying to get nuclear secrets or whatever. And you're talking about citizens of the United States of America. And the first thing you do is kill them. Here's what I don't get. Out of control. 41 times? 41 times. That's 41 bullets, correct? Correct. So you got a gentleman who's mentally... And that's what he was. You, you could tell he was he, mental. He's, there's a mental issue here. 41 times? 41 times. You cannot justify 41 bullets in a human body. You can't justify and that. And the police got off. 40? Let me. You're talking about excessive. 41 times. 41. One man mentally challenged with a knife in his hand, not charging, correct? He was walking toward them, not charging. But, but he's but he got his hand. It's in his hand. Walking toward him with a knife. Forty-one times. Forty-one times. Oh yeah, and there, there's a similar case here from 2018. Twenty-two-year-old uh, man Stephen Clark was shot in his grandmother's backyard twenty times by two officers. They mistook his cell phone for a gun. Mis mistook. Mistook. Yeah. So let me see. I don't know. I know a little bit about designs of cell phones. None of them look like pistols. No, no, they're definitely not thick enough. Are you to be a are you kidding me right now? And no. someone had to reload it in there. That's that's well, that's, that's a lot of bullets. 41. Somebody had to reload. Oh yeah. Oh, what yeah. was sad? There was in this situation there were seven police officers. With one guy. One guy. Well, and if you see the pic of the guy, he's a small guy, very small. Got the knife in his hand. And both hands are up, and he's walking toward the police officer, telling them, "Kill me," and they 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 killed him. They they they. So if you you had you had seven officers, each one of them fired almost six shots at this man. But yeah. what about the man's got a knife, a taser? You got a taser. You, you got a billy oh, club. Yeah. You got rubber bullets in some of these cases, you know, and some of the. Well, I mean, wow. you don't even have to get close to this guy. Well, I mean, two yeah. months point too, like. When does his mental state come into anybody's consideration? There's seven of you there. There's one of him. He's got a knife. Everyone has multiple weapons on their waist at their disposal. When does his mental state come into anybody's consideration? Nope. Let's go to work. You know, well, with with some, you know, some bullets. The fact that you shot this man 41 times, it became sport to you. Oh make, yeah. Make no mistake. This became a video game. Do you understand that? This is a video game. That's how many times you shot this man. That's what you see on Xbox or PS4. Oh, yeah. And this was a man saying, kill me. You know he's mentally not there. So what happened to let's help this man? Let's get him some care. If he's got one knife and you got all these officers, you're not, you're not in danger at any level. At any level. That, that, that This is... When I tell you this is troubling, Very. that's an understatement. But I'm going to tell you right now, 
America needs voices crying out. I cannot hardly hold my emotion tonight on this mm. show. When I hear and see death after death after death after death after killing after killing, when does it become enough? Can I say something, Mark, real quick? To add to what you're saying, this this is this is hard to deal with, but we have to face it. And from the thing that I'm struggling with the most out of all this stuff is that we have video evidence, body camera videos, or videos from bystanders that show these situations and circumstances. I I went back to the beginning of this show. We opened with the clip from the Tulsa. Uh, police officer that shot the man now she shot that man and they said in that clip that more likely that she was going to be charged in that do you know that she was acquitted she was acquitted for killing that man in the middle of the street acquitted I mean we've talked about Philando Castillo's the officer that shot and killed him acquitted the Eric Gardner acquitted and fired she acquitted and now she's gone on to be a nra gun instructor teaching people how to how, kill. teaching teaching people yeah. how to kill i mean this is the thing it, it, it's not only the death but it's the i'm a charge with manslaughter and they leave and they get off it's this unbelievable pattern like, what else does it take? How much more evidence do you need to convict somebody? How in the world do you acquit a man and a man go leaves in a body bag? His fiance, his daughter have witnessed this. A year of, of just turbulence around this to come to an to a end a year later. And the police officer is acquitted. We found him that there was no wrongdoing. Well, what? What? What does it take? Well, yeah, ahead, Samson. I was gonna say, yeah, make no mistake. the The fact that he was indicted on anything was more than likely to quell the the public that was in outrage at the time. But the fact of the matter is, is behind the scenes, behind the blue curtain, they they knew they were never going to convict That's that man. Insane. They knew they were never going to convict that woman. But the fact of the matter is, is they need to make it seem like they were going to do something to these officers. Like the man, you, the one they shot, Castillo, he got almost $50,000 on his way out the door. 48-5 was what that man got. After being acquitted, after getting away with murder, then they're going to pay him 48-5 on his way out the door. Okay, he doesn't have a career, he doesn't have a job, but you're getting paid and you're a murderer. Well, he doesn't have a job in New York. He'll get hired at some other some other city, well, that's how it some other state, that someone will hire him. So it's not like they ruined the man. He took a life, and he just basically gets to move. Well, the same well, way with Darren Wilson, who who killed Michael Brown. You know, he gets fired. He gets acquitted. Well, he goes to the next city, whatever. Well, the Department of Justice found in Ferguson, uh, my understanding was uh, a culture of racism and targeting. Uh, the Department of Justice report came out showing that the federal government had to step in to somehow take over right. uh, the department uh, because of the incidents that we don't hear about. Uh, they're swept under the rug. Nobody talks about them. 
They keep it quiet in communities because you would have riots everywhere if it became public. But the fact that it's hidden, when law enforcement should be the most transparent uh, institution in this country, given the fact of the power in which they have and the power of life and death uh, that's in the hands of these officers. Uh, this is AJC Radio. Excessive force in America's criminal justice system spiraling out of control continues in a moment. We'll be right back. When news and headlines following an act of gun violence fade away, who's left? The families. Gun violence is real. It affects more people than you would ever imagine. Losing a family member is one of the worst things that anyone can ever go through. This is something that's often forgotten, like what happens to the people after the incident. Although our country struggles to agree on a long-term solution to gun violence, we can all agree on one thing. Any family suffering a loss as a result of gun violence needs our support. The focus needs to shift to the human being. These continue to happen, and more people have join the club that we didn't ask to be a part of. There's families that are not getting the help that they need. They're it seems like there's nobody really rallying around the people who have experienced the hardship that we have. So many families in need, and I can really empathize with that. They need our love, compassion, and hope. Life for these families may not get any easier. Their lives are never going to be the same, ever. But with the support of others, they will get stronger. We can help. The Christina Grimmy Foundation, building a legacy of hope and inspiration. A Bart police officer who shot and killed a man. When I first saw the Oscar Grant footage, like a lot of people here in Oakland, I was outraged. As soon as I heard about it and I went online and I seen what had happened, tears came down my eyes. It was something that was very alarming as a police officer and as a citizen of Oakland. It was like such a blatant murder. You have a city in trauma. Anyone that's seen that and looks at it is in trauma. My hope is that people will express their concern with police brutality, but they will do so in constructive ways that don't include violence. We cannot perpetrate this cycle of harm and violence in this community. Because we do have to live here and they terrorize the city and it's only going to make it worse for us. They killed our young you can protest, you can try to make a change, but there is a positive way you can do it. And make sure we let the police know and that we're aware that stuff ain't right out here. We're trying to fix it. In a way that is about using your voice for justice. And making Oakland a safer place for everyone to live and get along as one. Violence is not just Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. The criminal justice system has a set of rights created to protect you. But do you think it's really protecting us? You had a right to remain silent. But that really means you had a right to be silenced, doubted, interrogated, suspected. The color of your skin can and will be used against you in the court of law. In their hands, we're incarcerated five times more often than white people convicted for the same crimes. You have a right to attorney during questioning. In some states, 80% of criminal defendants can't even afford an attorney. So an overworked public defender controls your fate. One government employee, countless lives at stake. You had a right to be innocent until proven guilty. But somehow, about 47% of the wrongly convicted are black. And if they do prove you're guilty, they're gonna write you a run-on sentence. 
on average, 20% longer than white defendants accused of the same crime. Even if you get out, you're still not free. When you're an ex-con, they had a right to deny you a bank account, deny you a mortgage, deny you a job, deny your vote. And if you don't remain perfect with the smallest slip up, smallest infraction, the most honest mistake, you're gonna join us, the 80% who come back to prison within five years, as I did. That's when you realize they didn't bring us here to thrive. They brought us here to build this. The plantation and the prison are actually no different. The past is the present. It ain't no coincidence. This was the plan since abolition, to keep us subjugated by creating this system. But I believe in a different set of rights. The right to stand up and be heard. The right to reform a broken justice system and build a new future. We had the right to be silent. Now it's our right to speak up. Do you understand these rights as I read them to you? Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio, as tonight we have struggled uh, at best in our hope to shed a light on the tragedy and the horror of excessive force in our criminal justice system across this nation. I can tell you tonight it has been probably one of the most difficult shows to do. question is when do we draw the line and hold those accountable that have in reality violated the law and have taken human life at a very alarming rate Dennis your thoughts yeah it's just it, it's, it's, it's very sad that William. You know, um, like we said before the break, this is, a, this is very difficult to deal with. I mean, we, we're talking about issues here, and we've seen this for years. We've seen patterns of cases, you know, and it's been from coast to coast where we're seeing excessive force. And I think one of the things that really gets me about all this is either too much on one side or not enough, where they're not doing anything. Like you said in the, in the opening, where you talk about a man that is sitting here in his, in his cell and they're basically just walking by, not doing anything. So, so it's either, it's, it's the extremes, either they're doing nothing or they're, they're abusing their position. One of the things, one of the cases that we've talked about before case of excessive force is the case of Darren Rainey you know the the man that was dealing with um, some mental issues that was in a Florida prison where they turned the shower up to on I think it was around 180 80 degrees, degrees yep. now you th now now we've, we've talked about cases today where we've seen at police actions in the streets and stuff like that this is a case where he was in confinement I mean he's in prison and they've 
you know, had the trap door. They had this area where they could go in there and turn the, the heat on the of the hot wire, water up, excuse me, and basically boil the man to death. Again, right. excessive force. So you're seeing it from the streets. Well, you're seeing it in the prisons. It's terrible. Well, it's, it's within the criminal justice system. Uh, and I understand, you know, as we talk about this, folks, we get choked up here. And, and Dennis, uh, yeah. we're going to come back to you in a moment. Let's play the clip about the Louisiana man that died in custody. Let's share that with our listeners. Here we go. Irvin Leon Edwards is a 38-year-old Louisiana man, or I should say was a 38-year-old Louisiana man, and in 2013, he and his girlfriend were arguing at a gas station, so somebody called the cops on them. Now, when the cops arrived, the couple had already stopped fighting, but that wasn't enough for the cops, so they started questioning Edwards about his sagging pants. And it just so happens that Edwards was in a place in Louisiana that recently banned saggy pants. So they arrested him. Let that sink in. They arrested him. They arrested him for saggy pants. And Edwards' girlfriend begged the officers as they arrested him. She said, look, just don't don't tase him, don't get too physical with him or anything, because he has high blood pressure, and he has some mental issues. So, just, just you know, a warning here. Don't, don't, don't do that. Well, um, the cops didn't really listen. What you're about to see is what the cops did to Edwards when they already had him restrained in jail. Now, as you're watching this, keep an eye out for the taser, which one of the officers has pressed to Edwards virtually the entire time. When you see something like that, you think, how could it possibly be the case that so many people were so stupid? There were six dudes in the room. And they just walked out. His body went limp like halfway through him being stunned. You notice that, right? Because he kept getting stunned. Which, by the way, is probably one of the reasons why he was squirming, because you were stunning him. There were like five dudes sitting on him, he's being stunned, so he's squirming. What do you, what do you expect to happen if you're stunning a guy? So they just, they leave. They, he goes limp, his body's limp, he's laying in the, on the floor in this incredibly awkward position. Obviously he's not doing it for comfort. And they just leave. His body's limp, they leave. They let him sit there in the same position for nine minutes. Then finally one of them, nobody's rushing, nobody's trying to help. There you have it. Um, this is horrific. It really is. You got a, a guy being stunned to death in county jail. And I, did he say there were six people in the room? Yes, he did. And he left, they left the taser on this man. Now, here's what I don't understand. If you have six people in the room to, to restrain him, and they, I think he said they were some were sitting on him? Yeah, some of them. Why do I need to taste him? Why? He's already restrained. 
and you and and he said he left the taser on him the entire time till he killed him so you got this voltage going through this man's body when i tell you this is an outrage we can play story after story after story one more body bag another body bag because they our society has made people to believe that if you're in jail well who cares I remember years ago as a young man probably 18 19 years old you know when you drive up the highway and you see people that are in custody but they're picking up trash I remember driving down by the courthouse and you see the sheriff van pulling out and the guys are there in the van and you think man they need to get their life straight until one day I was wrongfully convicted and I rode in that same van and I wasn't guilty but that's how people primarily think how my perspective has changed 30 years later it's a whole different thing Kendrick Barnes a co-host of this show wrongfully convicted when you live Kendrick and I speak for myself and you sit in a courtroom and you didn't do anything you become the nobody of our society we become the nobodies that's why people die in custody Michael Anderson who we've talked about on this show before murdered at a federal prison camp in Colorado he became a nobody this is what the risk we take when our system is what it is today. Your thoughts on that, Kendrick? Because I always think that if you could kill a man without any feeling, without any concern, and, if, and even the people that kind of stand, the other officers that might be standing there present, and no one says, you know what, stop, cringe, and say, you know what, that's enough. Then you put it in perspective. If you can kill a man like that, then a person who is that you wrongfully convict and confuse, uh, accuse of a crime and they go to prison for 20, 30 years, you could care less. Because if I can kill a man, I really don't care that he stays in, there. He stays in prison for however how long. And it, and it just becomes this, this callousness of the legal system. This is it has to be beyond just a job and numbers and I'm just doing my job. There has to be some feeling in there that, you know, this, this, my decision that I make today is going to affect somebody's life. If I use deadly force on this man or woman or child, they don't think that there's a mother, a wife, potentially children, anyone that's going to miss this person. They don't care. You're not thinking at that moment, but they, all they think at the moment is once this happened, well, I'm just going to do the party line of, I thought I was in danger. And then I'm just going to go on with my life and not think or even dwell on the fact that, you know what? I took somebody's loved one and family member away. 
I took another human being's life. It's it's just a sad uh, it's a sad state that our country feels like. If I put a badge on, a lot of officers I can't say all, but some officers just believe you know what I'm I'm above you, and this gives me the right to do what I need to do just to make sure I get home safe. I mean it's it's look. I mean, this is this is bad. And we're probably going to end up doing a part two of this show next week. Um, there's so much to talk about here. If we go down to the abuse, you have, I think this, is, this has changed now, but when pregnant women being handcuffed to the bed as they deliver their children. You have a lady that is in a holding cell in a county jail. The officer comes back in the holding cell and smashes her head on the concrete bench until she collapses. For what? When you're in county jail, you have no weapon. And the lady was saying to the cop, just, it wasn't even an issue. He came back in the holding cell and smashed her head. I do not understand. And what is most infuriating to me no one is held accountable. None. I can beat people up. I can assault kids at juvenile prisons. I'm not going to jail. I can kill a man. I'm not going to jail. It's tragic. Let's hear the next clip. Abuse caught on camera at the Dallas County Jail, and tonight there's a woman who is suing over what a jailer did to her. CBS 11's J.D. Miles live outside the jail with the video and the story that goes with it. J.D.? Yeah, Doug, a former prosecutor told me tonight he's never seen a case of brutality this bad involving a correctional officer. It happened inside this jail and now the subject of a federal lawsuit. Rhonda Wells had just been arrested for DWI when surveillance cameras in the Dallas County Jail showed her being brought in for booking back in 2011. While jail officer Rachel Graham was going through the suspect's purse, Wells walked up behind her while handcuffed. The jailer turns around, extends her leg, and slams the woman to the ground. It's uh, pretty unbelievable. Uh, uh, I haven't ever witnessed uh, that type of assault uh, by a... Uh, by a corrections officer. God, Lord. Criminal defense attorney Toby Shook is a former prosecutor who says he's never seen that kind of behavior in the county jail. The person was helpless in the fact that they were handcuffed and they didn't appear to really be any type of threat to the, to the uh, uh, detention officer. Moments after the takedown, another jailer can be seen on the video wincing at what she had witnessed before walking away. No one attends to the injured woman who appears motionless, laying in a pool of blood, while the detention officer involved casually goes back to work. 
Now, Wells' attorney says she suffered multiple broken teeth as well as other facial injuries. We were not able to reach the jailer for comment. She was not only fired, but she also faced criminal charges and received probation. We expect to hear from the plaintiff in this lawsuit sometime tomorrow. On an average in the United States, a police officer takes the life of a citizen every seven hours. Did you hear that? Police officers are indicted in fewer than 1% of killings, but the indictment rate for the civilians involved in a killing is 98%. That is staggering. 1%. So when our folks line up on the streets in this country, protest is because justice is hidden. That is the reason. This statistic in 2015, there were 1,307 people who lost their lives at the hands of a police officer or law enforcement official. In 2016, the number was 1,152. Although lower, both years are still higher than the 1,149 people who were killed by police in 2014. Fatal encounters. That is a lot of loss of life. 84% of police officers have stated in a recent survey that they have directly witnessed a fellow officer using more force than was necessary. That comes from the U.S. Department of Justice. 84% of police officers have seen officers use excessive force. That's unacceptable. 84% of our law enforcement task force Witness excessive force by a fellow officer. And do nothing. And nothing is done. That tells you where the problem is. Well, well Mon, that goes along with the, on that same article where it says like nearly half of the police officers out there agree with that they can't always follow the rules in order to get the job done. 43% of officers agree with the sentiment always following the rules is not compatible with the need to get the job done. So, Almost half of them agree that, you know, the excessive force is okay. And that contributes right there to the 84% that have seen it. That, you know, it's, it, they go hand in hand. They, 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 they think they have to do it now. But, but look how it's sold to the public. You, you can watch any police drama on television. And they, and they spin it to where when the officer is chasing this drug dealer, he has to slam him against the wall and rough him up a little bit. And they sell it like that's just part of the job. You have to do that. But what if that was you and your your son or someone you know, just arrest them. You you don't have to make it where this it's part of the American culture that you know cops are just doing their job and they just have to rough you up a little bit just to just and that's justice. No, that's not justice. Well, it's been it's been culturally accepted. It is a culture. A culture falls to the belief of a system. 
the belief of a particular form and is accepted as that. That's what creates culture. It is a belief system. This is okay. If officers feel like they have witnessed wrongdoing, 84% witnessed excessive. What does excessive mean? Not necessary force in these situations. This 5% of the police departments in the United States contributed statistics to a 2001 report that was created to track police brutality on civilians. 5%. You're not going to get nothing done. There's no record. These are things, ladies and gentlemen, that have put us in harm's way as a country, which has divided us as a nation on racial lines. America is divided on racial lines. When you think about that, states here that the estimated cost of police brutality incidents in the United States is $1.8 billion. That is staggering. And the numbers are rising. is tragic. Samson, your thoughts? Um, you're absolutely right, uh, Lamont. And the fact is that, you know, when you see, like, like you hear $1.8 billion, these are people that actually, this is what's being awarded. Now, let's think of, you know, the hundreds or thousands of cases that have gone through where they've just been pushed to the side like they're second-rate citizens. These are actual... Again, compensatory cases where, okay, they admitted, somebody admitted something wrong and they paid something out to the family or to the victim or whomever. Now, that's the $1.8 billion we're talking about here. What about everybody else? What about those cases that, uh, you know, oh, I was just doing my job or, oh, I got a great, you know, the police department's got a great attorney or the DA is coming in and stepping in, you know. What about those people? Well, that's not flying anymore. It's just not going to fly. Uh, I know of an incident in here in Colorado Springs, El Paso County Jail, Criminal Justice Center. A gentleman, uh, let me take that. That's too nice. Uh, an officer, a deputy sheriff rather, pepper sprayed a guy down his throat. Jesus. Killed him. They had him still on duty. He had a belt. He had no pepper spray, no taser, nothing. And when they held this man down, they put the pepper spray gun in his mouth, down his throat, and took his life. He still had a job. This is murder, ladies and gentlemen. And I don't care whether you agree or not this happens consistently within our system it is our job to speak to it 
play the next clip. All right, you know, we're seeing more and more cases of police brutality, and it seems to get more and more extreme. And we're also seeing this within our prisons. And I think this uh, recent story perfectly describes what's going on in the prisons and how it's kind of flying under the radar. Um, what I want to talk about today is Nick Christie. He was a man from Florida. He was a 62-year-old. And um, he was diagnosed with chronic pulmonary disease. After he was diagnosed with this disease, he became very depressed. And, you know, he had to cancel a fishing trip. Uh, he started uh, experiencing all of these episodes, these emotional and mental episodes where he couldn't handle his emotions. He would have all these outbursts. His wife was very concerned about him. But while he was uh, in Florida, uh, he got arrested twice, okay? Now, he went to the Lee County Jail in Florida. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, apparently they didn't know how to deal with him, so they decided to start pepper spraying him. They pepper sprayed him um, at least 12 times, and then they strapped him onto this chair, and what it does is it straps his ankles and his chest. And uh, while he was strapped, they continued to pepper spray him. They put a gag in his mouth, uh, so I guess he wouldn't scream or cause further disruption. The gag was actually, it's something known as a spit mask, and they put it on people uh, so or inmates so they don't spit on uh, the authorities. They put the guy in what's called this, the devil's chair uh, for six hours. Now, the guy is trying to tell them that he's got a medical condition and he's having trouble breathing. Part of the reason he's having trouble breathing is they find out later that uh, the pepper spray was all over the gag, so he keeps breathing that into his mouth. In fact, when they did an autopsy on him several days later, his skin was still orange and brown from all the pepper spray. They had done so much. The surgeons, as they were operating on him earlier, when he was still alive, had to keep changing their uh, gloves because they'd get covered in the pepper spray and put new gloves on. And then an expert in the field said, the idea that they would pepper spray a guy after he was already strapped into a chair and totally bound up is against all common sense and against all procedure because the whole point of pepper spray is if a guy is totally out of control, you have no other options, you pepper spray him. But if the guy is completely and utterly under control and tied in gag, pepper spraying him over and over again, especially when he's in a medical condition like this and refusing to bring him to a doctor, well, that's nearly torture. Yeah, that's, no, it's not nearly torture. It is torture. They tortured him to death, okay? Pepper spray is supposed to subdue a person that you have absolutely no control over. They had complete control over him. He's in this chair, okay? By the way, there are states in the U.S. that have banned this chair because of the fact that it could cause blood clots if you are sitting there for a prolonged period of time. Um, and it's just not good for you. There are other ways to handle the situation, right? But, you know, there could be a case as to whether or not these chairs should be legal. But it should definitely be illegal against the law if someone is restrained on this chair and you're pepper spraying him 12 times. There were other inmates in that cell with him. And they said, look, we were gagging because of so much pepper spray in the air as they were spraying him. So, look, he had caused a disturbance, but it's an incredibly minor offense that they brought him in for. Let's remember that, too. Trespassing at a hotel he was staying at. In fact, his wife was happy that they got him because she was worried about him. She comes in and says, okay, thank you for, for you know, detaining him and getting him under control. I I'll take him now. They're like, no, you won't. Get out of here. Meanwhile, she's like, what? She's like, this is an incredibly minor offense, and he's sick. I want to get him some drugs. They left his drugs in the car for 43 hours. Wouldn't give it to him, okay? And then as she was pleading with them to take her husband and bring him to a hospital, etc., they were at the same time, as Anna correctly said, torturing to death.
in the other room, in the same building. Now, they did several things uh, that were that are considered violations. I want to list them for you guys. So as Jake had mentioned, the length of time that they kept Christy strapped to this chair was too long. Six hours, there's absolutely no reason that he should have been strapped on for that long. Also, pepper spraying him after he'd been restrained, failure to clean up the pepper spray uh, off his body. They were supposed to do that when they put the spit mask on him, but they didn't. They didn't give a shit. Um, also, failure to properly evaluate him for mental and physical health problems. When they first admitted him to the jail, they were supposed to do these evaluations, but they just decided not to. Yeah. Look, when you add all of this stuff up, if you didn't do the evaluation, you could say it's an oversight. It's say you did this, it's an oversight. When you put it all together, it's the most obvious thing in the world. They were getting their kicks out of it. You know, they were like, ha-ha, we can do this, so we're going to continue to do this. Well, here's my real concern about this, that this is be starting to become something that is commonplace. In, in the culture, we started torturing people uh, back during the Bush years, and we were worried that it was going to become part of our society. And, and we said that's part of the reason we shouldn't do it. We're not supposed to torture people. We're Americans. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation, costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. Almost every day in the news, we hear stories about innocent people who are returning home after spending years in prison for crimes they did not commit. What you may not know is that their problems don't end once the limelight fades. For many, wrongfully convicted individuals don't receive a penny for the injustice that they faced. Take the case of Floyd Bledsoe. He spent 16 years in a Kansas prison for a murder and rape he did not commit. And while Floyd was eventually exonerated, he lost everything his family, his farm, and decades worth of income. Unfortunately, Floyd's story is not unique. Kansas, along with 17 other states, doesn't have a law to compensate wrongfully convicted individuals for the injustices they've suffered. And in states with compensation laws, many of those are woefully inadequate. We owe it to all the men and women in all 50 states to provide fair compensation to those who've suffered these injustices. Join me in urging our lawmakers to do the right thing by the wrongfully convicted. Go to innocenceproject.org to find out how you can help. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we come to the conclusion of this show. Um, boy, this has been a tough one. Uh, Dennis, as we have 
relived step by step the death of these folks tonight that we have shared. It is a heart wrencher. Um, every time I think about it, every time I talk about it, I cannot hold my emotion. Because that could be me. That could be my loved one. That's true. And the helplessness that you feel when somebody is in custody or going into custody or not, the family of Eric Gardner, we had Miss Gardner on this show shortly after the death of Eric Gardner. The pain of the loss of her son was horrific. And you try your best to put yourself in those situations to understand, and you just can't. As a mother, you no doubt go in your mind, no matter how old Eric Gardner was, that's my baby. I can't help him. And to see it broadcast all over the nation, over and over again, the choking death of your son. I, I cannot imagine, Dennis. Your thoughts as we come down, to, at least to the conclusion of this show tonight, what, what do we take away from this? What we take away is that we got a major problem in America when it comes to uh, police brutality, excessive, excessive use, excessive uh, force. Uh, it's just, it's out of hand. And, and when we... When it, when it looks as though deadly force is the first option, it's a problem. It's a problem. And, and, and until America uh, cries out, uh, don't wait till it happened to your child. I mean, until we, we come together, I'm telling you, this show is doing a great job doing this, but we need as many voices as we, as we can to cry out and say, hey, enough is enough. Th these, these officers, and again, it's not every officer. But, you know, a lot of them that are out there, you know, they have this uh, this God complex uh, that they're given the authority to take lives. And, and it doesn't matter how they do it. And until we say no, uh, to take a life is a last resort. Uh, you will use the, the least amount of force necessary to, uh, you know, bring the situation under control. And then if you can't do it, then I mean, in, in this case, I mean, all the cases that we talked about, they could have just stepped away. I mean, it's that easy. It's that easy. There, uh, no shot should have never been fired. Or uh, in, in, in Gardner's case, nobody should have never been choked. Or, or, or you know, it, it, was it was not necessary. There was other ways to, uh, you know, bring the, prop bring the situation under order. Samson, your thoughts. What did we take away from here today? Well, I think we just need to, like Dennis was saying, you know, we got to get down to the brass tacks of everything. Like, why... Why is, the, is it the mentality of every police officer? And I'm not saying all of them are bad. You know, there are some excellent men and women out there uh, behind the shield doing their job day in and day out for their communities. But when we have a rising trend in our country where people are getting killed for nonviolent crimes or just for... You know, because some officer wants to use the line, I fear for my lives and the lives of my comrades, 
or something along those lines if they want to let they want to escalate things rather than de-escalate things like that has to be a fundamental fundamental change that is made now where do we go out about making that change well we're doing part of it right now we're voicing you know giving voice to the voices we're speaking out on behalf of those that have been victims for the families of the victims for you know just to be an advocate for those that might not have the platform that they need and go up and talk to our officials you know like we always bring up you know voting for the right people getting the right people in office you know we have to speak out or change is not going to happen and i mean that's sad that that's no, the way it is absolutely kendrick your thoughts it, there just needs to be consequences and that's that's the real problem exactly. is the officers know there's never going to be consequences yep. in this climate to when they kill uh, a civilian especially a black civilian there's they're, they're not going to see jail time so it's just it's just a truth and reality and until we get laws and and demand laws that have teeth you're not going to see any real change William you know, I, I guess I, I was looking at the other side of this. You know, what does it take to be a police officer? I think that is one of the things that needs to be called in question. That is the one profession that we have out there that could change and alter a family real quick, almost to the effect of a doctor. They could take a life that easy. And so we should ask ourselves, what is that process? What does it take? Uh, what is the, the person, the caliber of person? Because we've seen, you know, we've saw police stations now and, and the police departments striving to bring in more minorities they're trying to change their look and their behavior but the point that you brought up was the culture that culture is there and that and it doesn't matter your ethnicity it, that is the way it, it it goes that's their modus operandi for how they behave so what we need to do is talk about um you know the kinds of people that are policing the streets today cliff your thoughts yeah i mean anytime you you look at law enforcement that's supposed to be a protector of your community and we've gotten to the point where you know when people see law enforcement it it's about fear it's about you know if i get stopped i might get drugged down the street or beaten as a best case scenario worst case i i take 17 shots from a a uh, issued nine millimeter from a police officer and he claims that he's afraid or that I made a threatening motion. And the, the, the worst part is that you're getting justifications from police chiefs, commissioners, and mayors saying that even though the person, the civilian who was killed by a police officer had no weapon, no weapon on them, they were running, uh, they had their back turned, their hands up, there's still no accountability for the police officer uh, killing a civilian and that is the that is the worst of it is that you have those who are in authority that instead of them fighting for the safety of their community all they fight for is the exoneration of the police officer a police officer that commits murder should be tried and convicted as a murderer that's the bottom line you should be held to not just the same standard as an everyday civilian but a higher standard because you wear the badge you took the oath. You claim that you're there to serve and protect uh, with honor and dignity. And yet when something happens, when excessive force is, uh, is, is put out and a civilian is killed, all we see is time after time police officers exonerated 
saying, oh, well, they use force because they fear for their lives. It, it's time out, and uh, yeah. we as a public have to take a stand to ensure that these things come to an end. And that's exactly right. And uh, uh, just cause AJC Radio will continue to be a voice against injustice. Um, you claim to be an advocate, ladies and gentlemen, in this country. You have to have a voice that speaks truth and calls out those that violate justice. Sandra Bland, a lady in Texas, no longer with us, gone too soon. Moving to Texas, I believe, uh, to re to start a new career. Um, hired, pulled over by an officer. I saw the video, completely out of line. Excessive force at its highest level. That you would pull a woman out of her car, take her into custody, to me without cause I think she was changing lanes some type of change you know you take her to jail then claim she took her life for a traffic stop when she just got hired for a new job she was excited about her family talked about it gone too soon let's roll our final clip for the evening Let's hear it. Today, the FBI said that it will monitor the investigation into a woman's death in a Texas jail. She was arrested after a traffic stop, but a few days later, she was dead. Sherry Williams of our CBS affiliate in Houston, KHOU, is following this. 28-year-old Sandra Bland, an Illinois native, had just moved to Texas to start a new job. Last Friday afternoon, she was pulled over for reportedly failing to signal a lane change. Police say she then kicked the officer getting out of the car. She was then held in custody on $5,000 bail. Three days later, she was dead, found hanging in her cell. The medical examiner's office ruled her death a suicide. But Bland's family says she had no reason to kill herself. Her sister, Shannon Cooper. It is unimaginable and, and difficult for us to wrap our minds around the Sandy that we knew. Prosecutors say at 7 a.m. Monday, a deputy brought her breakfast but never entered her cell. An hour later, Bland talked by intercom to another deputy, asking if she could make a phone call. At approximately 9.07 a.m., she was found hanging in her cell. Waller County District Attorney Elton Mathis. The death of Ms. Sandra Bland will not be swept under the rug, that there will be no one who is protected. Bland was vocal in her views on perceived police aggression. She often posted video diaries on social media. You can't tell me that the law doesn't see color. But in one posting from March, she revealed she was battling her own demons. I am suffering from something that some of you all may be dealing with right now. It's a little bit of depression as well as PTSD. The Texas Rangers have launched an independent investigation into what happened to Sandra Bland here at the jail. And Scott, the district attorney, says surveillance video from inside the jail could be released as early as Monday.
Sherry Williams of KHOU reporting for us tonight. Sherry, thank you. And late today, the Texas Department of Public Safety told us that traffic stop procedures were violated in this case, and one of the officers involved has been reassigned to a desk job. There you have it. Oh. Sandra Bland um, headed to start a new job. And here's the kicker. According to the investigation, should have never been stopped. If she's not stopped, she's alive today, working her new job. And what irritates me above all, the report says, well, she was battling her own demons. Has nothing to do with the fact she was murdered. And some over-idiotic cop, I saw the video, I couldn't believe he was dragging her out the car. Well, what do you think if she did kick you? You're dragging her out of her car. She's trying to figure out, what are you doing? I saw the video. Excessive. We got to change what we're doing, man. And the folks that walk away, as the Kendrick alluded to, no consequences. The report said he was assigned to a desk job. He should be assigned to a cell. A desk job, benefits. This is why the culture as we talk about so often on this show, is what it is. I am saddened tonight, troubled tonight, angry tonight. Where are the voices? Crying out against this type of behavior. Too many voices silent. Too many voices quiet. This is AJC Radio. Tune in next week as we continue Abuse, part two of this series, but titled Abuse Behind the Wall of America's Criminal Justice System. We continue part two next week. This is AJC Radio. For the entire AJC Radio team, we say good night and be safe. Good night.